Welcome and thanks for tuning in to our podcast. My name is Donovan, my wife Jessica and I are the lead pastors here at Destiny Church Praha. We know that today's message will bless and encourage you because the Bible tells us that the Word of God is alive and active. If you want to connect in with us, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, follow us on social media or visit our website at destinypraha.com. Let's get into the Word. Awesome. Guys, my name is Donovan. This is my lovely wife, Jessica. We are the... Hey, Eli. You know who I am. That's my, my little boy. He's three now, Eli. Um, so we are the location pastors here at Destiny Prague. And it's, uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Um, for all the new faces, I always have a good giggle because uh, we're midway through a finance series. Um, so we're talking about money. Yay! Um, but from a biblical lens. And um, for those of you that have zero clue of who we are and, and what we're about, our heart, um, more than anything, is for the character of God to be revealed. And for you guys and us to understand the character of the Father, the heart He has towards you, His principles in the Word of God. And sometimes we need to talk about serious topics. Sometimes we need to talk about sexuality. Woo-hoo. Don't preach about that in church. Sometimes we need to talk about money in church. Hey? Because there's a kingdom economy, which is very different to how the world looks at things. We touched on it a little bit last week. The world says create debt. The word of God says you're enslaved to those you're indebted to. And there's a number of other areas of the word of God um, which are so explicit about money. And actually, if you read the Old Testament, it is so black and white, actually, finance. And this is what I love about the Word of God. Um, and last week, just to recap for those that weren't with us, and please, it's, it's on our podcast if you find this interesting. Um, we spoke, and when we started on our finance series, the fundamental core basis for everything that we're talking about here is that everything is God's. Everything is His. Right? We are merely stewards or managers of what he gives us, right? And I, I, I really prompt you to go listen to that word from last week. It was just scripture after scripture. We spoke about God doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle of a thousand years. And you can go through Job, you can go through Proverbs, you can go through Psalms. And you just see God declaring, like, who are you that I owe you any, I should owe you anything or give you anything? Everything is his. It all belongs to him. And when you look at finance and money from that perspective, it starts to change a lot of things. Because somehow in our our minds, over time, we've been wired that, ooh, we need to bring money to church because God needs that. Maybe we owe him something. Or, ooh, the church won't be able to switch the lights on this week if we don't bring our money to church. The truth is God doesn't need your money. It's all his anyway. Today we're going to be looking at tithing specifically. Because I know this is an area that people get very confused about. And the truth is we don't know what the Word of God says in this area. And it is a biblical principle that I believe is very important for each of us as we steward, as we journey life, as we grow, as we are students into the workplace, into family life. Um, but before I, before I get into that, let me caveat this by saying we don't talk about finance because... We don't have a healthy bank balance as a church. Actually, we're very blessed as a church. And if you come in here this morning, and I'm going to be honest, 
If you're coming here this morning and you're like, oh gosh, the church talking about money again. Please hold any money you have to yourself. Do not give it to this church. Let me, let me liberate you from the beginning. Hold on to your money. Because when you start looking at money the way Jesus instructed us to do it, the way the apostles instructed the church to do it, he says you want to give not with a grudging heart. You don't want to give out of contempt. You don't want to give in that spirit or that framework. You want to give because you love and you believe that when you sow into something, God can use it to expand his kingdom. Right? So we're talking about finance because we care about doing things God's way. Amen? Okay, so I hope this offends a lot of you today because I, I just love when the Word of God offends and upsets. And, you know, when we sing songs like, what was that bridge or that last song, Shake Up My Religion, Shake Up My Tradition, this is exactly it. All of us have grown up in different countries, different denominations in church, and we've heard various views on this. I think even I have probably heard um, the Word of God preached with an agenda, a human agenda behind it. Um, in this space. So today I want to give you as much truth as possible. So Father God, I pray whatever comes out of my mouth this morning, Lord, is just just received with love. Father, there is no agenda. I don't care if nobody gives today at all. It's not about money, Lord. It's about principle and prioritizing you, Father, and getting your basics and defaults right in our lives this morning, Father. So I pray for every heart and every mind this morning just to receive truth, just to receive truth, not Don's opinion, Father, but what your scriptures truly say um, about the area of tithing this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so important to have a biblical view on finances, right? And actually, it's quite funny because I said the word is quite black and white, but when you read the word of God, especially around this topic, you see, especially in the New Testament, a huge drive on giving, a huge drive on generosity, and Jesus takes on the, the, the law, the teachers of the law at the time, and he spends a lot of time on giving and a lot of time on generosity. This is a very important concept. We touched last week on the issue of, well, not issue, the topic of God doesn't really mind if you have money. Because sometimes as Christians, we feel like it's wrong to have a lot of money. Or look at that pastor. He's driving a, a Mercedes-Benz C-Class. Wow, you know. Is he dipping into the the money basket every week? The truth is, God isn't moved by whether you have a lot of money or a little money. And you see this in Jesus using multiple parables. You can look at it in the the widow that sowed. Jesus is moved by the posture of your heart in this area. And I want to make that very clear. When we speak about everything being his, we merely bring back to him what is his. This is very, very important and very clear that we are not preaching a prosperity gospel, right? We're not preaching give to get. Although when you go read Luke, he kind of says it exactly like that. Uh, The word of God in the New Testament says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. But I'm not going to preach a prosperity message this morning. I want you to go and look look that up For yourself, I do think there's biblical context around some of those topics, but we're not going to touch on it today. Today we want to touch on tithing, the tenth. So everyone's heard of the tithe. Some of you, 
have been tithing your entire lives. Some of you don't tithe. It doesn't really matter. And in case you think I'm looking at you specifically, I don't know who gives and who doesn't give in this church. Right? Jessica, I'm not ignorant to it, but Jessica does the finances. I don't look into that, right? So what we want to do this morning is just teach truth. And the first thing I want to touch on, because this is a common issue that I find in and amongst people around this topic, is the tithe. Is it an Old Testament law? Do we see it in the New Testament? And how does God um, talk about the tithe? Is that okay? Does that sound interesting? We've got two people studying theology in the room, so I'm sure um, you can check me up on this one, or maybe there's some homework for you guys afterwards. Old Testament or Old Covenant principle, the tithe, question mark. Okay, check this out. Check this out. Genesis 14. Now, if you really want to get serious about how the chronology of the Bible works, Genesis 14 is way before the law, the Jewish law, was even instated. Something like 400 years before the Jewish law. Genesis 14. And I'm going to read from verse 18 to 20. You can take notes. I can share my notes with you afterwards. I've got a ton of scripture in this area. I'd love to share it with you. I think it's important that Christians educate themselves. Right? Genesis 14, 18 to 20. Then Melchizedek. For the theologians in the room, you should go study up on Melchizedek. Then King Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. This is with Abraham. He was a priest of God Most High. Verse 19. And he blessed Abraham, Abram at the time, sorry, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Verse 20. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies in your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, what happens in this passage very quickly is Abraham actually uh, takes on a, a couple of the, uh, the nations at the time. They win a war. And one of the allied kings in this case, which is King Melchizedek, comes to Abraham and blesses him and actually allows him to take from, um, from uh, some of the kingdoms that they overthrew uh, at the time. Melchizedek is quite an interesting character in general. I'm going to read from Hebrews 7. Um, this Melchizedek, this is out of Hebrews 7, right? So now we're in the New Testament. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. And when you go read up on Melchizedek, you actually see Christ through the order of Melchizedek. It's something for you guys, for the two of you, go take a look at it. What I'm trying to get to is Melchizedek in the Bible is actually someone that doesn't have a mother or father. They actually refer to him as a divine individual. And I love the Bible, just to get your minds rolling here, because the first expression of the tithe happens between Abraham and Melchizedek. And I love this because Melchizedek breaks bread and Abraham gives him a tenth. 400 years before the Jewish law is instated. We see this in the Old Testament, right? And the crazy thing about this is Abraham doesn't give a tenth because of Mal or for Melchizedek's blessing in this context. He gives a tenth in response to the blessing of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek gives to him and Abraham responds with a tenth. You hear what I'm saying here? 
Abraham doesn't owe anything. But in response to the goodness of this divine king at the time, Abraham responds in a, with a tenth. This is the first acknowledgement of the tithe in the Old Testament. Then we roll the clock forward a little bit. Leviticus 27, 30 to 34. Now we're talking law. So we talk, when we talk law, Jewish law, and sorry, I don't want this to be a heavy law topic, but you need to understand it contextually. Moses gets the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Israelites at the time uh, create the Jewish law. For those of you that don't know, there's like 613 Jewish laws at the time, right? And we see in Leviticus 27 verse 30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Verse 31. I'm going to say that again. Sorry. It's holy to the Lord. The first from the soil or the fruit of the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. The tithe in this day and age was holy to the Lord. Verse 31. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe. Okay, so this gets a little bit complex. Let me summarize this very simply for you. The tithe was considered holy to the Lord. There was instruction under law to bring the tithe forward. Now, you can imagine, today we just talk about money, which is like a transaction through our banking app or dumping some currency into a bucket. This was the first of the land. So the first of everything that you put to production with your hands, agriculture, livestock, honey, oil. In the New Testament, you see dill, you see mint, you see all sorts of things. The first of, tenth, the first of everything had to go, a tenth of the first the tenth of the first of the land had to go back um, to the Lord, and it was holy um, to the Lord. If you couldn't, for whatever reason, bring a tenth in your produce, you could substitute it for money. But then you would have to bring one-fifth in addition. So actually, back in the day, you'll see that some of the Israelites actually would have tithed 12%, not a tenth. Then if you really want to go dig into this, and you can go through Deuteronomy 12, and you can go through oh, right throughout the Old Testament, there are numerous types of tithes. So the 10% was the first thing that went off. If you couldn't give the first fruits, in a sense, and you wanted to substitute part of your 10th, you could, but then you'd have to bring in one-fifth in addition, right? And then they had a tithe um, for a festival that they used to have. There was a tithe that they took specifically for widows and orphans. There was a tithe that happened once every three years. And I'm paraphrasing this for the sake of time today. The average Israelite, if you go do your homework, probably would have tithed around 23% on average annually. Never, never heard that one before. It was not about the money. It was about the principle. And when you really study the Old Testament, you actually start to see that the Israelites were a very generous people group. And I love this because my, when I think of the Israelites, I just think of people that were in captivity. I think of people stuck in the desert. I think of people like living hand to mouth and just existing. The truth of the matter is they were generous people. They gave on average 23% the tithe. But they were very, very generous. Exodus 36, verse 6. Check this out. Moses is about to build the temple. 
And I don't want to get into this, but it's really exciting for me. In Exodus already, Moses builds a temple, and God gives them an individual. He's an architect or an engineer, or I don't know what he was in the day. His name is in, in Exodus 36. But basically what happens is they say, well, we want to build this temple. And they open it up to the people to start bringing offerings. Offerings were over and above the tithe. There's a big difference in the word of God about giving and tithing. Right? And in the Old Testament, tithing was God's. You didn't touch that. That went to God. It was the first thing. In Exodus 36, they're building the temple. And eventually, these architects and engineers go to Moses and say, please tell the people to stop bringing stuff. Tell them to stop giving. Tell them to stop bringing their offerings. We have too much. Right? Have you ever thought about the Israelites as a nation that was so blessed that they had to be told to stop? Check this out. Exodus 36, verse 6. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp, quote, unquote, from Moses. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more. Come on. When you look at the tithe in the word of God as a principle, and you saw how the Israelites, the Jewish nation at the time, God's chosen nation, started to put this into practice and tithed, sorry for saying this, more than 10%, you started to see a very generous people group. And I never knew this until I studied it this week, that even Moses had to say, please stop bringing, please stop giving over and above we have more than enough. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Verse 10, Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with the new wine. You see, there's a principle in this. And I can't help but feel when I read this, that as these people got it right, God was just pouring out blessing into their lives. Let's roll the clock forward, because now we're talking Old Testament. What does Jesus say about this? And I love this. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 23. It's a section called the seven woes to the teachers of the law. Now, the teachers of the law in the day and age, Jesus had huge conflict with them. Because they were there to uphold the law. And in actual fact, they were the ones saying, hey, we need to bring the tenth. We need a tithe. They were the ones that were enforcing this, right? And a number of other of these 600-odd laws. And we just know that Jesus was in conflict with them. And if you read uh, Matthew 23, verse 23, he's responding to the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! Exclamation mark. He's not super happy with them. Hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. Mint dull, and cumin. So he's telling them, you hypocrites, you give a tenth. Okay? But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. So you should have practiced justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the former, which is the tenth. I'm going to read this again. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You see, Jesus 
was always challenging the religious thinking of the day. And that's why I just love when we sing the song, Tear Down My Religion and My Tradition. Because Jesus never dismissed the law when he came. And I don't want to get into a law topic this morning. But Jesus never dismissed the law. He came and said, you need to not neglect the former. But what's the point if you're tithing and your brother is starving next to you? What is the point if you're bringing the tenth, but you're not merciful towards people? If you're not faithful in other areas of your life? You see, this is the big difference we see between Old and New Testament. And a lot of people get confused on the principle of tithing and say, well, Jesus, new covenants, the old is out. And actually, I'm going to read a scripture that completely contradicts that thinking in a moment. But Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, he says. This is why he says, do not neglect the former things. Do not neglect the teaching of the old covenant. But rather, you need to take all of these things, right? And you need to steward them in the same way. When you go read Matthew 5, just after the Beatitudes, you see Jesus taking on finance, prayer, and fasting in exactly the same capacity. He says, when you give, give in secret. When you pray, pray in secret. Do not pray elaborate words. When you give, give in secret. When you fast, fast in secret. Everything for Jesus in the New Testament was painted with the same brush. Where the law would be, oh, we're ticking the boxes, we're tithing, we're doing the good stuff. That's why when you look at the widow's offering and the parable of Jesus saying she gave everything that she had when it was nothing in terms of value, that moved him because she got the principle. But the people upholding the law gave their tenth, maybe even more, but it didn't move him because they were giving out of obligation. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Jesus never came to dismiss the things of old. And actually, you see throughout the New Testament, and I'm way off my notes now, but you see throughout the New Testament the tone completely change. Because in the Old Testament, you see tithing, you see structure, you see discipline, you see law, you see obligation. And then when you get to Jesus, he doesn't use that tone anymore. He starts talking about giving. He starts talking about giving. Because he was more concerned about matters of the heart. He was more concerned about how you give than what you give. And somehow, Christians have said, well, Jesus doesn't talk about tithing, so we don't need to tithe. When I read the Word of God, I see it this way. How much more would people be wanting to give toward the kingdom of God because I've set them free? Because I've redeemed them? Because they were once in a contract with sin and death, and now they're in a contract with life through the Spirit. Why do I need to talk about 10%? It shouldn't matter anymore. They're free. Right? Do you hear what I'm saying? And I think on purpose Jesus doesn't talk about tithing because of this. Because it's such a heart matter for him. Because whether you bring 10%, whether you bring 20%, 30%, and I, there's principle in that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not dismissing it. He wants you to bring it with a heart that says, Father, I'm, I'm just bringing my tenth today because I just know that you're going to expand the kingdom of God in the Czech Republic in Prague. I believe that as I, as I bring back what is actually yours, Father, I'm bringing my finance into a realm of blessing. Lord, as I bring back the 10%, Father, I trust you to take that. And as I 
plug it into the ground, Father, you're going to return a harvest that we could never even imagine of this morning. Amen? Matthew 5.17, do not, this is Jesus, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of all the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus did not come and dismiss the things of old. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of at least these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, there's principles in the Old Testament that carry right through to the New Testament. The tone changes, but the principles remain the same. The Israelites, I believe, when you look at them, were a truly generous nation, a truly blessed nation. And you know what? When you go throughout the Old Testament, you see Nehemiah in chapter 10 reinstating the tithe. You see it again in Amos. Why? Because the people throughout time were, were, were captive. Nehemiah reinstates tithing in chapter 10 because the people had been in captivity for 70 years. And they had forgot these principles. They had not been taught these principles and the first thing Nehemiah does after he builds the wall, rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem is he reinstates this principle again. We see in the New Testament as well, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Even Christ is referred to as the first in the New Testament. You can't tell me this is not a principle that God doesn't want us to get right. Okay, so I, 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 like, I wanted to take on Old Testament and New Testament because this is very, very important to us. And like I said, in the New Testament, you see this topic of, of giving and you see generosity and you see Jesus talking about plug the need, fill the gaps, right? Look after the church. You see the apostles coming to the church of Corinth, Ephesians, Galatians and saying, thank you for your generosity, Thank you for what you've brought. It enables us to do the work of God, right? And even in the Old Testament, right, as the people brought their tithe, it was set apart for a specific tribe of Levi. The Levites were the ones that actually benefited from the tithe because they were the priests amongst the Israelites, right? And yes, for anyone that's in missions or doing the work of the Lord that says, oh, I do the work of God, so I don't need to tithe, Go look at Numbers 18. In Numbers 18, it says even the Levites were instructed to tie the tenth on what they received. Right? This principle is for everybody. So here we go. What is tithing? You still with me? Still excited to learn? Cool. Okay. What is tithing? It's a response to God's blessing. You're bringing back what is his. But like you saw Abraham responding to King Melchizedek, it is a response to God's blessing. It's a response to his goodness. You don't bring a tenth and say, Lord, can you bless this? He is good. And the tenth is a response to his goodness in our lives. I want to say that again. It is a response to his goodness. It's who he is. It is his character. Your money doesn't move him to be good. He is good. 
So your tenth is a response to God's blessing. You don't tithe to get God's blessing. You tithe in response to his goodness, his provision, and his blessing. In a sense, you tithe in response to his character and to who he is. Tithing is an act of honor. I want to say it's an act of obedience. It's an act of priority. It's about making him first in your life. Right? This is true for every area in our life. It says in Exodus that he is called jealous. He wants to be first. Tithing is an act of honor. When we respond to God, we're also honoring him, saying, you are first. You are first in this area of my life. And you know, I can't help but feel when I read about the Israelites in Exodus, that as they got that thing right, as they stewarded the finance, as they st- and you must remember, it was very difficult for them, right? They were bringing the first of crops, the first of the herd, the first of the calves, the first of... Imagine how much com- more complex that would be than in today's setting, where it's the transfer, really. But as they got those things right, the discipline of having to find the best and bring that, that discipline moved something in them, and I believe propelled them to be a generous nation, because you can't outgive God. When you read the Word of God, you cannot outgive Him. Tithing is an act of honor in making Him first in your life. From a practical perspective, for those that tithe are trying to get their finances right, in our lives, it's the first thing that goes off of our account before anything else happens. My salary lands and it's out, <laughs> right? I get a little bit extra through the tax man, it's out. You, someone asks, do I tithe on my tax um, rebates? Do I tithe... Bring your finances into the realm of blessing. Bring it to God. We tithe on everything. Right? Because I'm responding to his goodness in my life. There are people in this church that earn a weekly wage, and they tithe weekly. There are people that earn a day wage in this church that tithe on when they get. And sometimes they they tithe 50 crowns, but they tithe on it. Sometimes they tithe thousands. It's about the principle. It's about the discipline. And you see this in Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. Cain brought, the word of God says, some of his fruits from the soil. But Abel, of course, Abel, you know, what a legend, brought the firstborn of his flock. So they both brought, they both brought, but Abel went and he made sure it was the first. And he stewarded only the best for God. Where Cain took some of the fruits. And I think there's an act of discipline within that. Tithing is an act of honor, making him first in your life. You can go as far back as the garden, and I love this analogy. Everything in the garden is yours in Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4. Everything is yours, but don't touch those. Those are mine. Give them back to me. Leave them for me. And it's amazing that the fall of man happens exactly through that thing. Tithing is a stewardship test. Tithing is a stewardship test. You can go look at Joshua 6, verse 18. Um, And we know the whole story in Joshua when they're taking on Jericho and they march around the walls and blow some trumpets, and it's all very exciting, right? But Canaan was the first land that they took, and God says, 
don't touch anything. It's mine. The first city we conquered together is mine. I will give it to you. I will give the hands of your enemies to you, but it's mine. Don't touch it. And we see people taking some of the devoted things, it says. And we actually see people storing up gold and belongings and stuff in their tents, and God was angered. And they had to resolve that, Joshua 6 and 7. And then you see God give them the second, um, the second land at the time. It was called Ai, A-I, I think it was. Maybe it was artificial intelligence. So you had Canaan, which was first. God said, don't touch. And then he gave them I, and he said, all of it's for you. It's a common theme through how God deals with his people in the Bible. Tithing is a form of giving. Listen to what I'm about to say. Tithing is a form of giving, but it's not an offering from a biblical standpoint. The tithing is God's. You're bringing back to him what is his. Offering from a biblical lens is over and above. So when you see the Israelites bringing an offering to build the temple, that was over and above their tithes. Bringing your tithe is not considered generosity from a biblical view. Ooh, now I'm going to offend some people. When you bring your tithe to the church, it's not generosity. Blank stares. I'm just looking to see the faces. Because it's God's. You're not generous with his. It's like saying uh, Jacques comes to borrow my car and then brings it back in the afternoon and says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a car. It's like, but it's my, it's my car, dude. No, but I, I want to give it to you. It's like, no, you're bringing it back to me. It's the same principle. And by that definition, the tithe is not considered generosity. I'm happy to talk to you about this afterwards. When you look at Jesus and he talks about giving and he talks about being a generous people and you look at the Old Testament and how generous the Israelites were, this was not in their tithing. The tithing was to do the work of God. The tithing was bringing back to what was God. If we want to be generous people, if we want to be people that like blessed to melt the faces off of others, if we want to be radical, we need to realize that we need to extend we need to extend past our tithe. I'm preaching to myself here. I want to be generous. I want to be, I'm going to tell you a story and I'm going to close you very quickly. I remember going to a funeral once for a friend of mine. Some of you might have heard this. This is not in my notes, but I feel prompted to say it. I went to a funeral to a good mate of mine and his, I didn't know his dad at all. I met his dad once. He looked like a very hard man. And um, his dad contracted a very rare degenerative disease. And within six months of diagnosis, he passed on, right? It was muscle-related. And um, month four, he couldn't remember his children. And anyway, it was horrible. But I remember going to the funeral. And I remember sitting there, not knowing any of the people, not knowing much about him. But I went to support my mate, okay? And there was a woman that got up. And she had worked at the local Tesco for 10 years. I don't know. And she got up and she said, you guys don't know who I am. But this man who had passed on one day had been in that Tesco. And she basically had put some bread and milk through the, the, you know, through the conveyor. 
and she couldn't actually afford to eat that day. And he, he was actually the manager of the, the Tesco at the time. So he offered to pay for her bread and milk that day. Roll the clock forward. This woman is standing at his, at his funeral. He, he continued to fund that family for 16 years. He paid for everything that they ate for 16 years. Nobody knew. It was done in secret. He gave in secret. I'm not even sure. I wasn't even clear that day if his wife actually knew. I don't know how close they were on their finances. But when I look at that, this was 10 years ago. It's still something that moves me. Not because of how much he gave. I don't know if it was a loaf of bread every week. But the principle that he gave, the generosity in which he gave with, moved me that day. And I said, I want to be a man like that. Right? I want to be someone that no one knows what's happening in the background. But he left a legacy that day in how he stewarded his finances, in how generous he was. No one talks about, did he tithe? Did he tick the boxes in the church? They're remembered by his generosity and how good he was and how he gave in secret. I think sometimes we get hung up on this topic. We get seriously hung up on the topic of tithing. We get caught up trying to make excuses. It's New Testament. I don't trust what the church does with my money. I feel God wants to... He wants to minister to you today and He wants you to get these principles right. I feel like He wants you to think about this. He wants you to pray about it. Because I don't need to convince you of this principle. I've seen God's hand of blessing on my family for years in this. I have never lacked. He's always made sure there's enough for us. Sure, I don't have a Ferrari in the garage. But we sang a song there that says, I don't want your blessings. I just want more of you. We sang it earlier on the screen. This is a principle God wants us to get right. Another question I had was, where do we bring the tithe? The Word of God says bring it into the storehouse. In the Old, Old Testament times, it was a little room on the side of the temple that they actually provisioned for people to bring their first fruits, their crops back into the storehouse. The New Testament and a bit of the Old Testament refers to bring it to the house of God. Right? I don't know what that means for you. For me, it means where you're spiritually fed. Where are you plugging in? Where is your spiritual authority? If it's this house, I would say that if you want to steward this principle of tithing right, you should probably be bringing your tithe to this house. One of the other questions I see often for people is, I don't know what's happening with my tithe. What is it being used for? Let me tell you something. When you're bringing back to God what's His, that's between you and Him. How somebody stewards that on the other side is between that person, that treasurer, and God. I remember once driving on the side of the road, and there was a woman with a baby. And I drove right past her, and God said, you need to go help that woman. And I was late for a meeting. And I just felt, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit just burns in your heart. You're like, oh, you're trying to ignore it, but you know He's prompting you to do something. And I went... And in South Africa, we don't often give money because money gets used for drugs and, and alcohol and things that are worthless. And I, 
I took the time and I drove her to the shop and I bought her diapers for her baby and I bought her formula and I bought her whatever she needed at the time. Only to find out a week later that they posted in the local newspaper that there was a woman scamming people and was using money and things that people were giving her to buy drugs. And I remember going to God saying, why would you have prompted me to help this person when they've just squandered your blessing? And he said to me, it was never about her. It was always about you. It was about your obedience in this area. Don't worry about her. Worry about your life. Worry about what you bring back to me. Worry about your generosity. Worry about your giving. Fix that thing in your life. And I'll take care of the woman. I'll take care of the beneficiary of that finance. And I want to say to you, if that's you this morning and you're saying, I don't give because I don't trust the church or I don't trust the leadership team or I don't trust the finance team, I want to challenge you on this and say, it's not about how it's stewarded. God doesn't need their money in order to expand kingdom in Prague. What he wants is your obedience. What he wants is your heart to sit on top of your finances. What he wants is to be first in your life. Of course, as destiny, we take a lot of, we take this area very seriously. And we believe that we steward it well. Tithing is a response to God's blessing. I'm going to close in this quote. This is from Billy Graham. Billy Graham is a very famous evangelist. Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people came to salvation through Billy Graham's ministry. And he said this, We have found in our home that God's blessing upon the nine-tenths when we tithe helps it to go further than ten-tenths without His blessing. Can we close our eyes, please? Malachi 3.10 we see God saying test me in this this is the only time we see God saying test me in this area it's with finance if you this morning are sitting here and you're going I don't don't get this I want to say to you you have an open invitation from the God that owns everything and everything belongs to him to say test me in this area give it a try give me a test You have an open invitation. You have nothing to lose. God wants you on a journey to get principle in your life right. And I just think it's beautiful for Him to give an open invitation like this to you. Practically, make your finance the first part of your your salary, of whatever you earn, giving back to God. I, I believe there's something that stirs faith when you make it first before you've paid your expenses, before you've paid your rent, before you've ordered wallet, before you've invested into your cryptocurrencies, give to God first, weekly, monthly, daily. Don't look at your tithe, that that you bring back to God. Don't look at it as a line item in your budget. This is not an investment portfolio. This is His. Look at it as a fundamental spiritual truth and cultivating a culture of honor in your life. Be intentional in this principle. That when you bring it back to God, say, Father, I'm bringing my finance under your authority. And Father, as I bring it back, I just believe that you can do exceedingly abundantly more with my finance than I could even imagine. 
Be consistent. Exercise discipline in this area. Teach your kids this principle. Start tithing as a student. I wish I had got this right in my life earlier. God had to, in a sense, reprimand me four to five years ago, saying, Don, sort this out in your life. And it took me a long time to get out out of debt. It took me a long time to squash credit cards. But he journeyed me through that thing. And I no longer have anxiety in my finances. As soon as Eli is old enough, he will learn this principle. Father, I just want to pray over every heart and every mind. This is a a heavy topic, a topic we don't speak about a lot, Lord. But I just know that when we implement your principles, Father, there is blessing, Lord. There is abundance. And Father, I just know, even if we, we had to think about you in a physical, practical sense as a dad, giving to their child, if the child's able to steward the things that the parent gives them, how much more would that parent just want to pour into that child? Just bless them and say, this is a child that knows how to steward finance well. Father, I just want to pray for every heart and every mind. I want to pray for every hardened heart that's listening going, mm, nah, this church is not going to swing me to tithe. I don't get this. I don't believe in this principle. Father, I want to pray to every one of those hearts. Holy Spirit, that you just continue to minister to them. I remember sitting with this principle and this topic for years before God brought correction in my life. And I feel like I honestly lost out years of stewarding God's principles well. So Father, I pray for every heart and every ear to ear and every eye to see this morning, Lord, and just to hear your word and just to apply it to their lives, Father. I ask that you give people that say, well, I don't know how to. My finances are too tight. Holy Spirit, I ask that you give them the blueprint. You give them the guideline. You give them obvious things that, and practical things that we can change in order to bring this principle into a focal point in our lives, Father, to make you first, to prioritize, to, to prioritize you, to bring back what is yours, Father. And Father, I want to pray for every heart that already is exercising this principle, Lord. And that's saying, man, I want to be generous in my finance. I want to be radical in my finance. I want to bless with the resource that you've given me, Lord. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you just open the heavens upon them. I pray that you start to give them opportunity to bless. You start to open their eyes to need in our local community, in our city in our church, in another church, in another Bible study, whatever it may be. Father, to bless. Guys, when I looked into finances in Exodus, in Deuteronomy, when they took the tithe for the widows and orphans, it wasn't for the people in their community. Most of the time that went into people outside of their communities. Father, we can be a generous people that impact the city, impact this nation, impact this community just by stewarding things well, your principles well. So Father, for every heart that wants to bless and wants to be generous in this area, Lord, I ask that you give them opportunity to do so, Father. Give us opportunity to be good stewards. Jesus.
to say this last thing, which is not necessarily biblical, because the tenth is God's, the tithe is God's. But for those of you that are trying to get this principle right in their life, I want to say this. Start by giving what you feel you can give. I'm not saying necessarily to this body. Make sure you're aligned with where your spiritual authority is. But give what you can give. Because as you start to exercise that discipline in your life, God starts to make room. And He'll take you on a journey with where you want to be ultimately. I'm dead serious. I started like that. I felt like I couldn't afford to give a tenth. So I started with what I could. So Father, we just thank you for your blessing, Lord. We just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is life. We thank you that it is divine. Father, I pray that you ask us, help us rather, to apply it to our life. In Jesus' name, amen.